Our first reading of scripture comes from Romans, uh, the 15th chapter, verses 1 through 6. Listen by the word of God. We who are powerful need to be patient with the weakness of those who don't have power and not please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbor for their good in order to build them up. Christ didn't please himself, but it, as it is written, the insult of those who insulted you fell on me. Whatever is, was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we could have hope through the endurance and through, life, through the encouragement of the scriptures. May the God of endurance and the encouragement give you the same attitude toward each other, similar to Christ's attitude, that, you, that way you can glorify the God of the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, together with one voice. Listen for the word of God as it comes to us from, from Philippians, the first chapter. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have actually advanced the gospel. The whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else knows that I am in prison for Christ. Most of the brothers and sisters have more confidence in the Lord to speak the word boldly and bravely because of my jail time. What do I think about this? Just this. Since Christ proclaimed it every possible way, whether from dishonest or true motives, I am glad, I'll continue to be glad. I'm glad because I know that this will result in my release through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ. It is my expectation and hope that I won't be put to shame in anything. Rather, I hope with daring, to courage, daring courage that Christ's greatness will be seen in my body now and always, whether I live or die. Because for me, living serves Christ, and dying is even better. If I continue to live in this world, I get results from my work. But I don't know what I prefer. I'm torn between the two because I want to live this life and be with Christ, which is far better. I'm sure of this. I will stay alive and remain with you to help your progress and the joy of your faith and to increase your pride in Christ Jesus through my presence when I visit you again. Most important, live together in a manner worthy of the gospel. Do this, whether I come to see you or I'm absent to hear about you. Do this so that you may stand firm, united in one spirit and mind, as you struggle together to remain faithful to the gospel. This way, you won't be afraid of anything your enemies, enemies do. Your faithfulness and courage are a sign of their coming destruction and your salvation, which is from God. God has generously granted you the privilege, not only in believing in Christ, but also suffering for Christ's sake. You are ha having the same struggle that you saw me face, and now here that I am facing. Holy wisdom, holy word, Let us pray. Lord of gifts, share with us a hunger for the bread of your kingdom. 
Give to us a yearning and patience with injustice. Free us from clinging to deaths that gone bad. Teach us to pray with honesty and words filled with earth and lit by desire. Through Jesus Christ, our Jubilee. Amen. Now, I love summer because it's a season of golf and baseball. My two favorite sports. Now, my love for baseball started when I was five years old and living in rural Missouri. It was November, I think, and I was with my dad at the general store in this little village of hope, and we were talking to a couple of men, and they had just come back from hunting. When the conversation was over, we were walking home, and my dad told me that we were talking to two St. Louis Cardinal baseball players. One of them turned out to be the Hall of Famer, Red Shandings. This was the beginning of my love for the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, my love of the game of golf came much later. And these two stories these, of these sports come together in this story about the great baseball legend Ted Williams and the Hall of Famer, Golf Hall of Famer, Sam Snead. Now they had this argument. Which game was harder to play? Baseball or golf? Now Williams contended that hitting a baseball was a much greater athletic achievement than hitting a golf ball. He said to Sneed, it's just common sense. Now he made his case. He said many times the baseball is coming at you at speeds well over 90 miles an hour. And it is thrown by an opponent who is deliberately trying to confuse or trick you. I can have at least three different kinds of spin on it. And you have only a split second to make up your mind to swing your bat, even if you hit the ball. There are nine players trying to keep you from getting a safe hit. Williams went on saying that on the other hand, there's this golf ball sitting there on the tee, quietly waiting for you to hit it. You have lots of time to concentrate on what you propose to do. You have time to recall all the essential things of a good drive keeping your shoulders level, your head down, your eye on the ball. And there's no human out there to intervene between you and your goal. Neither is there a stadium full of people yelling for you or against you. And they even put up signs to be quiet. <laughs> to be sure, there are trees and hazards and bunkers, but no human opponent wanting to kill your drive. But it was at that moment, at that time, Ted Williams hooked his drive. It ended up in a sand trap, just short of the water hazard, under a tree. And finally, Sneed looked at Williams and said, you know, Ted, the tough thing about hitting a golf ball is that you have to play your foul balls. I suppose it's difficult to argue with that. On the golf course or in life, there are so many times 
when things happen, something breaks. Mistakes were made. There's a detour sign in your path. Your ball lands in a hazard. The economy, the economy changes. Gas prices go out of the roof. And we're working to get our, out of one difficulty after another. In golf and in life, we play the lie of the ball where we find it. And it doesn't mean that all is lost, but it means that we can't start over with an additional strike on us, like in baseball, when we hit a foul ball. In golf, we have to learn to live with our consequences, the consequences of our actions, of our hook, our slice. Some of what's happened to us in life has been pleasant, grace-filled, dreams come true. Other things have been decidedly unpleasant, difficult, sometimes heartbreaking. Some of our hopes and dreams have been realized, but for some reason we suspect that some of them will never happen in our lifetime. And as we look over our years, as we take inventory of what's happened to us, the question is, how, how have these things affected us? Our disposition, our reactions, our approach to life, are we kinder, more peaceful? Are we less angry? Do we have more patience with people, the people around us? Are we less anxious? Are we fearful? Are we forgiving? What has affected our character? Have we grown closer to God, or are we farther away? Do we demonstrate more of the fruits of the Spirit as described by Paul in Galatians? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Are we yearning or are we struggling with our faith? Are we curious? Are we still asking questions or only making judgments? Paul reflects on his life this way. What's happened to me, he says, has really served to advance the gospel. Paul was one of those persons who had to play life's foul balls. He was a young man with a brilliant career. And on the road to Damascus, his life was turned upside down. He became a disciple of the very person that he had been persecuting. And then during his ministry... He was mobbed, he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, imprisoned, and he's scheduled for execution. What happened to me, says Paul, will turn out to be my deliverance. Because for me, living serves Christ, and dying is even better. Now, Paul certainly had to deal with where life had placed him. And he saw in all these things that God worked through him to advance the gospel. Somehow, God gave Paul the ability to encourage others, to bring out their best gifts, even when life was extremely difficult for him. You see, in all our lives, there are problems, right? There are things that we have to overcome, whether it's a problem with money, job, relationships, 
health issues, sadness, sorrow. All these events, one sort or another, can drive divisions deep, deep into our hearts and souls. What happened to Paul as he faced painful, difficult decisions turned out to promote the progress of the gospel. Why? Why did this happen? Because God's Spirit attracted people to, to Christ. Through Paul's endurance, people were inspired to witness for Christ and to experience a deep relationship to Christ in their lives and in the lives of others. Tony Campalo tells this story. He said, I was in the airport, and this elderly woman was sitting next to me, and I went over and sat next and tried to cheer her up. Others in this small airport gathered around, and we all got to laughing. She couldn't stop. Her friend arrived in this little commuter plane, and she hugged her friend and said goodbye. She got into the car and drove away, and I was looking through the glass door in the car and said, but it was backing up the lane. She came out and said to me, Mister, you didn't know this, but it was three years ago today that my husband of 64 years died. I didn't realize it until I was on my way home that this is the first day I have been able to laugh. I wanted to come back and thank you. Kampala says, friends, it may be something like that. That the world doesn't look as being significant, but may be ultimately significant in the long run. We need to encourage each other to bring out our best gifts, especially when life is distressing. Paul reminds us that we matter. These scripture lessons from Paul this morning are words of encouragement from Paul, written from prison, and have been passed down to us for, for good reason. Their encouragement as we face life's difficult places, and at the same time, they model the way of living and the way of being the church which we are called to serve and to be encouragers of others. You see, we're Christ's partners. We're each other's partners. And in that way, we are advancing the gospel. Whether li when life is extremely difficult and evil forces out there seem to be winning, with Christ as our center, we're called to inspire each other, to support one another, and yes, struggle and sometimes disagree with each other in order to discern the best way to confront the issues of the world. Paul wants disciples to know that they matter, that we matter, and how we live matters. You and I are changing the world just by being on this planet, by living and breathing. And we have choices. We can allow ourselves, our values, our attitudes be shaped and formed entirely from the outside forces of the world. Are we can open ourselves to be reshaped from inside out by the wind and the breath of the Spirit of God. As a pastor, I believe that God created us in God's image. 
And then as people of God, we have this tremendous possibility that we can learn something about life through all of our life experiences. When we do, they call that wisdom. It has been said that the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. And that's true for us. It really is. Our brokenness our, can harden us, can embitter us, and we can become cynical and angry in response to the world around us. Or we can be more empathetic and compassionate, loving people. It's our choice. There's an old story about a renowned pianist and composer, a famous one who lived in the beginning of the last century. And a significant thing happened at one of his concerts. At this particular concert, a woman and her young son came to hear this great pianist play. The young boy had just begun learning to play the piano. And the mother, wishing to encourage him, took him to this concert. The two were seated just prior to the concert, but the mother spotted a friend. She was a few rows back, and she went to speak to her, telling her, so telling the boy, now you just wait in the seat here for me. But what child likes to wait in the seat? And so seizing that moment, that moment of opportunity to explore, the boy made his way down the aisle through an open curtain and through a doorway, and he disappeared. The house lights dimmed. The mother returned to her seat, discovering he wasn't there. He was not in his seat. She began to look frantically around, not paying attention to the fact that the curtains were opening on stage. Then she heard the laughter of the audience. She looked, and there, seated at this magnificent Steinway, on the stage was her son playing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. She was horrified. She started, and she got up, but at that moment, this great pianist himself entered off stage, putting his finger to his mouth. He moved to the piano and whispered in the boy's ear. The boy just kept on playing. And then this great, great pianist reached down with his left hand and beginning to fill in the, the bass part. Soon, his right arm reached around to the other side of the child and he added the running obligato. And together, this old pianist and this young boy transformed an awkward moment into a moment of grace. And as they finished playing, the audience broke into applause and a standing ovation. May we too be surrounded by such loving grace that our fumbling gifts and efforts may be transformed by the Spirit into beautiful music. May we hear the whispers of remarkable encouragement from each other. Whispers that for each of us to keep on playing, to persevere, to play our foul balls, and to play, live life with grace. And like Paul, may we stand firm, one in the spirit, striving side by side, having one mind, for the faith of the gospel. So may it be 
for you and me. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.